Waveform Magazine is a free print publication that focuses on synthesizers and those who inhabit that world. Issue number one is due out in April 2019 and features interviews with Suzanne Chiani, Dave Smith, Folktech, with articles written by Div Kid, Abe from AI Synthesis, and more. There are also plenty of gear reviews, music reviews, and a shop talk section where we get to know about those who run our beloved synth shops. Sign up for your free subscription at www.waveformmagazine.com and follow them on Instagram. Pod Mod Bods, welcome back to another episode of Podular Modcast. This episode is brought to you by Patchworks, which is our uh, lovely little local synth shop here in Seattle. But if you're not in Seattle, you can help support them by going to patchworks.com and uh, buying some synth stuff. Uh, if you want to get patch cables, they got those. If you want modules, they got those. They got electron boxes. They got a bunch of Korg stuff. Um, yeah. They also do a lot of really cool community stuff, so if you're in the Seattle area, um, definitely keep up with what they're putting out on their social media and website because they've got a lot of cool stuff. Um, that's patchworks.com, P-A-T-C-H-W-E-R-K-S.com, patchworks.com. If you do get something from there, let me know, and you're not in Seattle. I would love to would love to hear that... Uh, that these little these little promos here are, are helping support one of my favorite places in the world, and I would love to see what you get there. Uh, let's do a short intro today. Um, I'm really excited about this episode because this is somebody I've been wanting to talk to for a long time, um, and this this company is one of the first companies that I'd ever heard of when I first started getting into modular because they're one of the uh, the OG Eurorack. Um, and that is, of course, Pittsburgh Modular. So I have Richard from Pittsburgh Modular talking with us today. And uh, it was kind of funny. I got my microvolt um, the, like an hour before I uh, started talking to Richard. And uh, you can actually hear that thing in the background right now. I'm just sitting here messing about with it and uh, trying to, you know, figuring it out and having a whole lot of fun doing so. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to stop rambling. Let's... Uh, Let's get into this episode. What DAW do you use, actually? I'm curious. Logic? Dude, I miss Logic so much. That's I, what I uh, started with and used for years. And then I started writing music with a friend. Um, we were going to start composing for film and he used Cubase and I was due for a new computer and I wanted PC and not Mac. So he talked me into Cubase and I'm, I'm, I'm not a fan. I miss logic a lot. So <laughs> I'm jealous. I like it cause it's, you know, it's, it's kind of simple. I came from four track cassettes. So logic is a nice easy transition from that and i've tried to switch to live and i used cubase for a while but logic is it seems like it's the most out of the, everything is just out of the way yeah me. yeah it was it it seems to be the best laid out and kind of i i started with uh do you remember cakewalk or sonar yeah um, so i started with that and i i think it's actually like i remember like the the envelopes are very similar 
and just how you like load your your plugins and stuff seemed to be similar to Logic. So and then I went to GarageBand and then into Logic. So it was just like a natural flow. And then um, yeah, it it took me a while with Cubase, but I'm I'm figuring it out. Um, I the thing that drove me away from Cubase, I I thought it worked fine, but you had to have that dongle, and that drove me crazy because I yeah. work on. You know, I bounce between two laptops and two desktops during the course of a day. And <laughs> to have a dongle to use a DAW, would, it, it just drove me insane. Yeah. So I, I, I somehow have bypassed that with the version of Cubase that I use. However, um, I could use a dongle or I, I, you know, they generate a key or whatever. But twice now um, it said my key is expired and I've had to call them up and go through this whole thing of them generating me a new. So there's been uh, one instance where I, you know, just turned it on and I was out of range of Wi-Fi and I couldn't use my plug. You know, I couldn't, I couldn't record. So I'm just like, this is unacceptable. So yeah, <laughs> that was <laughs> pretty annoying. Um, thanks for joining me, man. This has been a long time, long time coming. I've been wanting to talk to you for a long time. Uh, when I first got into modular, you know, I knew of maybe three brands and, Pittsburgh was definitely one of them. I feel like Make Noise Pittsburgh and uh, I can't think of the third, but you were definitely <laughs> on the top of the list because you've been, you've been doing it a long time. <clears throat> Pardon me. I'm also pretty sick right now, so I'm trying to get over that. Um, so I definitely want to get into the history and everything and get to know you and uh, how the company started. But if you don't mind, I'd like to ask about how you broke your tibia. But you don't have to talk about it if you don't want to. Uh, you know, it, it was just, it's one of those crazy fluke things. I was walking up a flight of stairs. So we had, the, we had some bad weather a couple In weeks Pittsburgh? ago where it got really, really cold. Um, <laughs> we had some snow, whatnot. So anywhere you would go, everything would be wet inside because you would just come inside <laughs> everything would melt. And mm -hmm. I was walking up a flight of stairs. I got to the top flight of stair or the top stair and uh, my right foot just sort of slipped off the stair I spun around and sat down on the top stair, but my leg did not spin around. Oh, God. Uh. Yeah, so it, um, it's, it's sort of disconcerting. Like, I was at the, uh, the orthopedic doctor's a couple days ago, and she said four or five times, this was a really bad break. Really oh, no. bad. And for someone who works with this stuff all day to repeat that to you over and over again, yeah. um, <laughs> It, it sort of puts you in your place a little bit. But for, fortunately, you know, it's just a minor setback. I am going to get a full recovery. Um, it's going to take a little while. But uh, just trying to stay positive and think about other things. It's tough to think about other things, you know, when you can't walk. But yeah. um, I'm just sort of taking it as, as it comes. Now, for the listener, if you don't know, the tibia is your shin bone. And probably, I would say ranking in the top two worst bones to break would be my guess like as far as pain goes that's, I mean, I, that's I just what think, I hear yeah, yeah. I, I just think about every time I've, I've smacked my shin on something and how just god awful painful that is I can't imagine breaking it um, well I hope I hope your recovery goes well and I hope you get uh, you see here here's my weird like like modular addicted brain I'm sitting here thinking like man that would get me a lot of time in front of my case <laughs> if I broke my tibia. <laughs> uh, easy to say from the guy who didn't just break his shin bone, though. 
Um, but you plan on still working on stuff. Through, I mean, it doesn't seem like it's going to be much of a setback for, uh, you know, professionally and whatnot. It's, it definitely slows me down. Um, I, I'm one of those type of people that I work, if I'm awake, I'm working on something. Mm-hmm. And it has been frustrating because I, nowadays I have about four good hours in me and then I just, I can't do it anymore because I'm either yeah. in a lot of pain or I need to rest. Um, so it, it has been, it has been a setback for that, but I'm trying to look at it as, well, I had a lot of things on my plate work-wise, and maybe this will allow me to reprioritize them. Yeah. And when I come out of this, uh, the products will be better for it. Well, that's good. I'm glad that you found a good positive spin on it. And um, when I first saw you post about it on in, you know, on Instagram, I was, I was kind of thinking like, man, that sucks. And then we started emailing, and you, you were mentioning, you know, kind of just what you said that you were going to try, you know, there's certain things you were going to work on and there's definitely a lot of stuff that just for like the, my podcast that I I could take care of that I, that I put off if I had a lot of screen time. So yeah, I'm glad that you're able to, to put a positive spin on it. And uh, it looks like your guy, your woodworking crew built you a pretty sweet ramp up to your front door. That was amazing. I, uh, I, I think we have the best wood team in the business. I uh, I gave him a call and I said, hey, man, here's what happened. Is there any chance you could build a ramp for me so I could get it in and out of the house with a wheelchair? And two days later, it was finished. Wow. And I thought That's it was going to be sort of some janky skateboard ramp, which is what <laughs> it, I would have done if I had to build it. But the thing is solid. It, it'll last forever if I need it to. Oh, that's so great. So, so are you, uh, are you uh, moving around in a wheelchair right now then? I am in a wheelchair, yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm going to be in a wheelchair for at least the next four to five weeks. Jeez. Oh, yeah. man. Well, I hope you got some good, uh, good binge watching queued up, and uh, hopefully the doctors gave you some, some good stuff to, <laughs> to kind of <laughs> take the edge off. <laughs> um, well, shit, I don't really know where to start with you, but I, I, let's just start from the beginning. I, wanna, I would kind of like to know your history, maybe even pre uh Pittsburgh modular, you know, like how did, how did your, are, you know, did you, are you an EE or musician, both? How did, how did you end up there? Well, I, I've always been a musician, you know, I'm one of those people that as soon as they realized that you could use anything to make music, I was making music. Mm-hmm. Um, as soon as I, it really started at about high school when there was a local music shop here where you could rent four track cassette recorders. So we would rent a four track for the month and say, okay, well, we have a month, let's record an album. And then we would spend a month and we would just write and record an album in a month and whatever was done before the four track had to go back, that's what it was. Uh, And so I had a really great core group of friends and that was how we spent 100% of our free time. And the love of music just sort of expanded from there. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I was in a I was in a couple bands as a drummer, but okay. it never really I never really took to it as much. I always sort of was looking over the keyboard player's shoulder, kind of digging what he was using. And I'm not a I'm not a player, so once I realized that oh wait, there's sequencers and there's arpeggiators <laughs> and there's other ways you could do this it really it it all clicked in my head i was like this is what i want to play with right so that's on. sort of how you know what got me started early early on 
Um, and I've always been sort of dabbling. I'm not a professional musician. I never really was. Music to me is something that I make for myself, and I mm-hmm. use it sort of almost like um, like a meditation. So, like, nowadays in the evenings, I'll turn on the modular and I'll just start patching. There's no real goal or no, I'm not really searching for anything. It's really just going where the patch takes me. And the idea is that after an hour or so, I can take the headphones off and it just, the day has washed away and I'm relaxed and I'm calm. And, you know, you can call it a night at that point. And that's sort of how I've, that's been my philosophy sort of all along. I love the process of recording and I love the process of making the music. So the idea of the goal is the process has always sort of what been what's driven me to make music. I like that. And that's, that's actually something that I've found recently and almost through modular. Um, you know, I was always kind of like what got chasing records or, you know, and, and once I found like home recording and doing it myself, I was definitely chasing a finished product, but I, I started finding out, you know, that Actually, oddly enough, the mixing aspect has been always been my favorite part, um, and maybe that's what drew me into to patching. But yes, since I've gotten into modular, it's 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 definitely my my um, my focus and my intentions and goals have, have changed to more of a personal and, like you said earlier, kind of like a meditation. Um, it's, yeah, that's that's interesting. Yeah, and I I don't really separate modular from synthesizers as much um, when I when I sort of playing around with the stuff because really in my mind modular is just sort of the perfected form of the synthesizer it's the most uh-huh. open it's the most free but you know I'm just as happy to sit around and bang around with my ARP Axe yeah. or my Juno 60 it, you know I get that same sort of rush from my brain using either one I definitely right. prefer to use the stuff that I design, um, but you know it's it's just as fun to poke it. You know, a twenty six hundred or you know something else makes you smile just as big. Right. Well, I, I don't I don't want to jump straight into this, but I can't help but you kind of triggered a few questions and, and observations just from that. Is one, it's it, I'm glad to hear that you still love patching. Um, and two, it's, it's awesome to hear that you like patching on your own stuff and the sense that I've got just from watching your demos or your talks at, at different, um, you know, NAM and stuff like that. And just kind of from using your stuff is there's serious love for synthesizers, especially the analog synthesizer. I, I get, it seems like that's just a, it seems like the company is a labor of love. That's, that's the, the, the feeling I get from it. <clears throat> It, it really is. Right? It, it really is. The, it, um, because, you know, I don't design this stuff myself. So it's me and Michael Johnson working mm-hmm. on these products together. So it's really a collaboration. And there's something magical there because, you know, I can come up with ideas or he can come up with ideas. And we work together to make it something better than it would be if we sat down and did it on our own. Okay. And the, and the end goal is, you know, you're not engineering problems out. These are, these are musical problems, so they should have musical solutions. Anytime we're talking about something or anytime we're trying to figure something out, the solution is always what's more musical? How is the artist going to use this? How would I use this if I was performing with it? And that's how we try to uh, approach this stuff. Uh, there's, 
there's so much out there already, and we've already done so many things that at this point, the stuff we're working on now, it's, it's, we're really trying to solve hard problems, and we're really trying to solve stuff that to us is very, very important and very exciting. So there is a sense of excitement in my eyes when I work on this stuff and when I play with it because it means a lot to me that it sounds the way it does. You know, the Microvolt, for example, that was a year of my life and a year of Michael Johnson's life. We are deeply, deeply proud of the way that thing sounds and some of the technical hurdles we solved to get it to sound that way. Um, and it's just, for me, it, in the evenings then, when I poke it around on one, it makes it that much more fun to use. Yeah. That's, yeah, well, so two things popped in my mind when you were laying, laying that out, and one of them was the Microvolt, and then the other is the just kind of the Lifeform series. But since you brought up the Microvolt, I'm actually sitting here staring at mine with its blue lights blinking at me. It's right in front of me, and it showed up today on the day we were going to talk. So I thought that was kind of fun and fitting. I've got to play with it for about 10 minutes. And my initial observations, i got a few, but one, this filter. Holy shit, man. <laughs> this filter is fucking awesome. It sounds amazing uh, with all the different, uh, the different uh, you know, types of waveforms you can send into it. And um, another thing I noticed is the, I can tell this thing's going to be a bass monster. Like I'm like, I can, I'm already seeing the applications there. And the third thing that I notice is since I, since I had mine on its way, I've been watching every video I could find of it and just looking at all the pictures and really trying to get to know it and what I want to use it for before it gets here. And, uh, I love the sonic state guys. Um, but the one that he, he, I forgot his name, but he mentioned, you know, his only complaint with it was like, Oh, well the, the faders seem a little, you know, whatever wobbly and and I got it, and I have to say I completely disagree with him. This thing is is a, is a tank in the best way possible. It's solid, and it feels every knob feels sturdy. And I don't know the the layout of it is so awesome with the patch bay on the right side. It just I can already tell it's going to be very usable and very fun to use. So yeah, that's that's my ten minute initial impression. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's great. It, I'm I'm sort of serendipitous that it showed up today. That's it's yeah, <laughs> it's such an it's such a unique instrument in, in a world of monosynths where there's you know there's a thousand monosynths out there now. We've sort of reached the analog renaissance with this stuff, but we really wanted to do something, and, and we put it on the. We I wrote it when I wrote all the copy for it. We called it a love letter to the monosynth. Yeah, and I love that. <laughs> for, and it's truly what it was. You know, we're I'm trying to celebrate the work of Alan Perlman, and the early and the early work of Don Buchla, and really trying to celebrate the sort of the guys that their format didn't win, so to speak. Um, mm -hmm. in the sense that the mini Moog became the default de facto um, format for a monosynth where you have the oscillators feeding into a mixer, feeding into a filter, feeding into a VCA, into the output. And I love all the stuff that Alan did where, because it's not quite that way, you know, because he was working in parallel with Moog and his stuff just functioned a little bit different. But because of that, you approach it very differently and 
you play it differently. And because of that, your music then is very different. And I love that idea. I love the idea of challenging an artist by giving them something that's just a little bit left of what they're typically used to, because it's going to, it's going to make their brain work in a different way. And hopefully that inspires them to create something that's very unique and very exciting for them. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm really excited about it, particularly, um, because it feels like you could go a number of directions with it. Like this seems like if you know you you've got the MIDI the MIDI dongle. Um, so this could just be your your synth if you wanted to just play your mono synth in a band. Because um, you know it's just you don't even have to use the patch bay. But having that set up, you can start breaking it apart from itself and incorporating in your modular. So it just, it it kind of just feels like the best of both worlds. And um, I see, I, you know, of course there's the, there's the no coast and, um, I can't think of, there's another, um, plankton electronics, I think makes something similar, like a, a semi-modular standalone. And I'm curious, like, it seems like that, that is going to be, uh, for me, I, I, I see the future of modular. I see a lot more companies doing stuff like this, um, because of the cost of entry is pretty big. And then also just the versatility. So, other than the love letter aspect of it was what was kind of the the impetus for for creating this as a product because this was the first thing that has been non modular that you've made correct yes and and that there's a little bit of that in it um the idea was we were looking to build the s v one two essentially was how it started and I very quickly got frustrated with the form factor of the s v one um, 48 HP synth, and I thought, well, okay, if I'm going to... And so I, I made it wider, and I thought, okay, it's still your rack, it's just wider. But as it got wider, it just seemed more and more ridiculous mm-hmm. to put this giant wide thing in it. I said, well, you know what? If we're going to have to build a custom case for this anyway, why don't we just make it whatever size the synth wants to be? And that really opened it up. And then I got excited. I'm like, oh, okay, so this instrument is going to be the size this instrument needs to be for whatever it turns out to be. And so as a designer, it became really interesting to design a non-Eurorack synth because as a Eurorack has always driven me crazy because it's not, it's never quite tall enough. (laughs) If if I could get another 10 millimeters or 15 millimeters, it would just change my world. But so this was an opportunity to say, okay, if it can be anything it needs to be, how would I do this? And I still, I love small little self-contained things. So I didn't want to stray too far from the size. Mm -hmm. And obviously I wanted it to be Eurorack compatible. So it's still, I knew it was going to live in that world, but once I was freed of the idea of, okay, this is going to be your rack, it was really fun to design a case and design an instrument that sort of had its own set of rules. Yeah. So it became, it, it became just sort of an exercise in trying something that wasn't your rack because we'd never done that before. Okay, that's interesting because I was wondering if that, well, I, I, I guess I just assumed that the initial thought was let's make a semi-modular, um, you know, outside of the rack. Let's make a standalone thing. But it's it's cool to hear that it, it was a, a natural evolution and progression that just kind of ended up that way. And then it's just, yeah, that's a cool story. And then it, 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 it for you to get even more excited, that like, oh, okay, this is this is kind of a new, new frontier. Um, and it's funny that you say, like, 
it it probably felt like you know you had football fields worth of space compared to uh, you know the modular size. But when I sh- when it showed up to me, I was like, this seems you know it's it's a it's it's relatively small and so much stuff. I was going to ask, how did you pack so much shit into this and still make it like all of the things accessible? But do you think maybe working with your rack for as long as you have, like lent to your ability to to make so many different functions? Uh, happen in an like a, this small of a space. That was a really for, poorly formed question. <laughs> I, hope I know you where get you were going. Trying to say. <laughs> I know where you're going. That's all that matters. Okay. Uh, you know what? I, your rec definitely informs the designs that we use, whether you know the microvolt or anything. But and I love that form factor. I love small little handheld things, something that can fit on a desk. Mm-hmm. So. I, it would have never been a huge product anyway, and I and I like I like a lot of features, and I like them to be um, I, I like there to be an instrument that you can go, you can get it when the day you open it, you can use it and yeah. get some great sounds out of it. But then, as you use it, I want it to open up and start to tell you a story, and I want it to get deeper and deeper. So I want it to be easy to use initially. But I want it, as you use it, to sort of open up and you realize, oh, wait, I can do this, too. And, oh, wait, I didn't know the filter had a completely different mode on there. And I want it to open up in a way that feels very natural and feels very organic. And so our products end up being dense for that reason. But hopefully they are just as fun and just as easy to use as a product that has one knob on it that says more or less. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I mean, the way this is uh, kind of something that I thought about when, like when I first, you know, learned about it and thought of like, Oh man, this is like, it's, it's outside of my case, but like I'm, I'm getting a new function generator. I'm getting a new LFO. I'm getting a new envelope. I'm getting a new filter. Like I'm kind of thinking about it in that, in that way, because I'm like, I'm definitely bringing this, you know, into my, my Euro rack world. So it's like when, when I start thinking about, Oh man, I just got like, you know, seven new modules in this standalone thing that I can, you know, also bring to the cabin this weekend or something. Um, and something else that I just traveled for the first time with my, uh, my, a six U one Oh four, uh, case. And I, I, you know, put it, I carried it around and I had a lay a couple layovers. So, you know, I'm walking, you know, I ended up walking probably a mile carrying this thing around. And I was like, man, this thing kind of sucks to travel with. <laughs> so now that I have this, I'm like, Oh, I could actually patch this while on a plane. That would be super fun too. So yeah, I think I just rambled there and I don't know where I was going with it, but, um, <clears throat> if you travel with the six, if you travel with a one Oh four style, six u case i always recommend you screw a uh guitar strap on it makes all the difference dude that's uh, genius oh fuck i wish i would have thought of that i've that carried is... cases all over the world and that once i realized wait i can put a guitar strap on this thing it changes it changes everything that that's a great idea because i was i was as i was carrying it through dallas on the way home from new orleans you know new orleans is a rough town that's pretty i was i definitely am still catching up on the sleep and whatnot I was thinking, man, I just need to like fucking drill some casters into this, but I'm I'm not going to do that to this beautiful case. But yeah, guitar strap, that's a really good idea. Um, so I'm kind of curious to get into, unless, unless you have some more stuff to go on the microvolt, because I feel like I could talk about this, uh, all day and I don't want to 
cut you short if you had anything else to say but about that. No, it's a, it's a fun little instrument. And, um, I think people have been really digging it. I hope more and more people, you know, we're a little tiny company with no marketing budget. So the way our <laughs> products sort of work is we put something out and then very slowly people start to learn about it and hear about it. And it sort of takes off that way. So we're starting to see some more and more people getting hearing about it and listening to it and getting interested in it. And that's, that's exactly what we are going for. I think it's a great instrument and the feedback that I've got from it has been, is it always makes me smile. So that's awesome. Yeah. That's got to feel good. And you know, I, I actually have one more thing to say about it to the listener. Um, you know, as somebody who just built a like kind of a small little 84 HP setup to give to my friend who I'm like really trying to get into modular. Um, if you've got that friend who, who's kind of on the fence and, uh, you know, is a little intimidated by the whole thing, this would be such a great way to introduce a musician into modular without them getting overwhelmed. Um, you know, they would get used to the idea of patching, but they could also use it in a way that they're comfortable with. And it would just be a nice, you know, transition into the Eurorack world. So think about that. You could even, <laughs> you don't even have to tell them it's modular. Just say, hey, right. here's a great synthesizer. And, you know, a couple of weeks later, you come back and, so what do you think about the modular? And they go, what do you mean? No, that's what you've been doing. Yeah. You've been <laughs> patching a modular. And then they'll go, oh, wait, that's all, that's all a modular is? I can do that. I think there's a, there's a stigma towards modular synthesizers that they're very complicated, very hard to understand, and very hard to use. And in fact, you know, they're really not. Um, I agree. Yeah. I, always, I always sort of give, I have a, a sort of a demo patch that I'll give new users anytime where it shows or anytime I'm talking to someone. And it's, it's, you see their eyes light up after you just two or three patch cables. And you go, that's all there is. That's all you need to do. And they yeah. go, oh, really? I don't need to use all this? No, no. You just use a couple things and you have a synth. And they're, oh, okay, I get it. And the microvolt's great for that because it's, it's sort of, it slides in there. You don't even know you're using a modular until, wait a second, I have 10 patch cables in there. I must be doing something. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I know I just said we were going to move on, but as we're talking about it and as I'm sitting here looking at it, I do have a few more questions. Just like, was, was it always the idea to get all the patch, the patch, the patch bay on the, uh, on one side and away from all the knobs? Because I will say that is, that's genius. Um, and then how hard is it to design something like this? It, I, I put everything on the right hand side because I thought as a stand Originally, it was not that way. Originally, okay. it was more like the SV-1, where everything is sort of integrated based on the module section. Uh, but for the microvolt, I thought, you know what, because it's a standalone instrument, I think it'll, it'll do the instrument better if the patch bay is on the right. And you'd see the, like the Mother 32 out, was out that way. And I thought, that looks pretty good. I'll try that. So as soon as we decided to to make it non-Eurorack, it became, okay, we're going to put the patch bay on the right. Then you start to design it, you start to lay out the PCBs, and you realize putting the patch bay on the right is a nightmare. <laughs> so I, was, I was kind of suspecting that was the case. <laughs> because you end up with these long runs, and you're fighting bleed, and it's, it's definitely problematic. It's especially, there's a couple... There's a couple sections on the microvolt that are extremely sensitive, and so you have to be really careful what you're running around it. 
Um, and because the density of the microvolt, there's a lot of electronics in there because it's all analog. Mm -hmm. So to pack all that in on one PCB in that case, it was, it was the hardest thing that we'd ever done. <laughs> wow. I, mean, I was wondering about that. I was like, that's a great design choice and it couldn't have come at a low cost. So, well, I'm glad you took the time to figure it out because I feel like that, that's really going to, um, I don't know. I feel like that's a, a really inviting way, uh, or an inviting feature for someone like myself who's like, you know, always fighting a nest, a rat's nest of cables. <laughs> I, I, and I think in, in that form factor, it, it, it worked perfectly. Uh, mm -hmm. we're, working on, we're working on something now that's back to the Eurorack format, back to the sort of SV1 48HP style format. And for that one, I abandoned the right-hand side patch bay almost immediately. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> For that reason, I'm like, you know what? I can't have I can't have runs going 40 HP across everything else. So for that one, we we ended up doing something a little bit different, just because it it just didn't quite make sense. And I think in the Eurorack format, it makes more sense to have the jacks near the section that you're controlling. I think as a as a user, it makes more sense to know, okay, here's the volt per octave input for the oscillator that's right here instead yeah. of having everything towards the right-hand side. So, I, I, again, I think that's a design decision that you make based on the artists that you think are going to be using it and how they're going to be using it. And I think for the microvolt, we made the right decision. And I think for the stuff we're working on now, we also made a different but also correct decision. That makes a lot of sense, yeah, in the standalone uh, versus the Eurorack. Yeah, it totally makes sense. Um, I'm also curious, I'm, and I'm glad you didn't do this because I, I see a lot of people, you know, saying, oh, the, you know, something like the no-coast, which I, I like the no-coast, you know, a lot, actually. But, you know, people, but yeah, you can take it out and you can, you can rack it. Like, but I've never seen anybody do that. <laughs> so um, was it, was it? Did you consider at all making like, well, could we do something where you could take it out and rack it? Or were you just kind of, did you nix that idea early on? No, or? because we wanted to do the, we wanted to do the sort of audio signal path on the top row and the modulation on the bottom row. And as soon as you do that, you're at essentially 5U. So mm -hmm. I guess you could take it out and rack it in a 5U system, uh, but it's, it was never, as soon as we decided we're not going to make this your rack, we really decided it was not going to be your rack. Okay. Right on. And I don't know, I don't know what kind of metric you'd use to, or how you, how you could really collect the, uh, the data on this question, but have you noticed, um, you know, your brand kind of breaking into, uh, the non-modular community? Um, have you, have you gained some new, some new people interested in what you're doing um, because of it coming coming from the outside of the Iraq, maybe the more general synth world. Um, I I think so. I think Pittsburgh has always sort of been a gateway brand to yeah. <laughs> modular, so it's it's not too far of a stretch for us to make a product that's a little bit further out from modular. Uh, it's that's a tough. You're right. That's a tough thing to sort of quantify because I don't have the metrics in front of me. You know, all I can do is say, you know, the feedback I've received from some of the musicians that have bought it and been kind enough to send me an email. You know, giving me their their thoughts and feelings towards it. 
uh, have all been very positive. And some of them, this is their first instrument that you would consider modular. And that, I think, to me is a win because I love the I love patching because it really opens up the instrument to doing something that a designer hadn't thought of. And that's why you put the patch bays there because an artist should be free to create sounds that are in their head without the restrictions of what the engineer thought was interesting at the time. Mm -hmm. And so I think of products like the Microvolt less as here's a modular synthesizer and really just as here's an open synthesizer that you can create the sound you want without the restrictions of, well, you can only have a three-position switch, so this modulation source can only go in three places. I'm excited to, uh, to have a, a synth that's not just modular, um, um, but, but I can easily bring into that world. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm definitely going to report back on that, and I'm also really excited. I noticed a lot of the demo videos, you know, three-quarters of them, were kind of just focusing on you know, it as, as a synth without the, without the patch base. So I'm, I'm, I'm really excited to dive into that and start seeing what kind of weird shit I can do with it. Um, but let's, let, I want to kind of talk about how you started the company then. Like, so, so you're in bands, so you, 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 a musician, um, you get into synths at some point or drum machines. When does modular happen? And then how does, how does, it seems like it's a common story. Like, well, there wasn't a lot of stuff and it was really expensive and the thing that I wanted didn't exist. So I just built it myself. <laughs> like, are, are you, are you of that? Are you cut from that cloth or how did it get started? Um, well, I was a software developer okay. by trade. I wrote a bunch of really boring .NET code that did boring things for boring companies. And so I would do that all day long. <laughs> And then I would come home in the evenings and I would open up my laptop and I had, I think I was using uh, reason or Cubase or something at the time. Mm -hmm. And I would use the software synths in drum machines and all that. And, you know, work on music in the evenings. And very slowly I started, my mind started to think, wait a second, I'm doing the same thing at home to make music that I'm doing at work to mm -hmm write code. So I, I started calling it spreadsheet music. Right? Just, <laughs> and, it, and I started, you know what, this isn't scratching that itch for me anymore. So I pulled out a couple synths that I had sitting in the basement that I hadn't used in years that were from old bands and whatnot. And I bought a couple other synthesizers and I bought a, uh, an old Tascam reel to reel eight track recorder. And I said, like, you know what, I'm just gonna, there's no goal here. I'm not trying to, you know, record my a great record or anything, but I just, I want to play with these things and I want to enjoy them. And it really, it really changed how I thought and felt about making music. I really deeply, deeply loved the process of using this old analog gear. And I didn't love it because it was old. I loved it because it was so hands-on mm -hmm. and you couldn't micromanage it. You couldn't go back and spend four hours editing two bad notes <laughs> so you were, you were forced to sort of either live with it or redo it and make a snap decision and move on. And what I found was that the process was so enjoyable that I thought, okay, I'm, I'm going to start collecting more synthesizers and more drum machines. And I, I saw that uh, synthesizers.com had 
a program where over the course of a year you could buy, you could spend them a, a monthly payment, and by at the end of the year you would get a modular synthesizer. And I didn't really know a whole lot about modulars at that point, other than that I had a Nord modular that I thought was pretty great. So I thought, okay, well this is cool. I'll try this, and uh, I ended up just buying the whole year package all at once <laughs> instead of waiting a year. And it, so it showed up, and I, I got it. And I'm like, oh, this is great, but I really didn't understand how to patch it. You know, you stare at a Juno 16. If you press a note, it's going to make a sound. Mm-hmm. And I understood what a filter was, and I understood what, you know, an oscillator did and all that. But as, as soon as you sort of explode that and take away the patch cables for the first time and you look at it, I was really, I was amazed how little I knew. And that... <laughs> That intrigued me so much that I just dove straight in, and I immediately fell in love with this thing. I realized, oh, it sounded great. I loved the fact that I could just, I could make a little patch that it would just run on its own, or I could, you know, change it around. I, I, I thought it was fantastic. So as I started to do more and more research on this stuff, I thought, well, maybe I'll, I'll DIY something, you know, because there's a lot. There was starting to be some information on the internet about how to DIY stuff and uh, I'd been sort of hanging out on the music from outer space website a lot trying to learn as much as I can about this stuff and I really very quickly realized that well these these schematics that I'm looking at and this these electrical circuits they work in the same way as the code worked that I was doing for my job and I thought okay I I think I can get this so I ended up taking a few classes here in Pittsburgh um, with the teacher. Michael Johnson was actually the teaching the classes that I took. On, you know, <laughs> basic, you know, how to use a soldering iron and that sort of stuff. Uh-huh. Um, and I built a, uh, a weird sound generator from Music from Outer Space, uh, not realizing that he was um, originally from Pittsburgh. So I s- started up a nice conversation with him and... It just sort of one thing grew into another, and I eventually DIY'd something that I thought, okay, this is an original idea that I had that solves a problem that I have in my little modular. And I said, well, I'm going to make it your rack because your rack panels are flat, and that's easier than dot-com panels, which had the, the, the curve on them on the sides. Uh-huh or the bend on the sides. So I thought, okay, well, I'm just going to I'll start a small your rack setup because. I can do flat DIY panels, and that's easier. And once I had a, a module that I was sort of proud of and thought was interesting, I, I contacted Sean at Analog Haven. And I was like, hey, I got this thing. You, you may be interested in this. Hope, and my, my goal in this, and this is honestly, I thought if I could sell three things a month, I would be able to afford to buy one module <laughs> from somebody else. And there wasn't a whole lot of companies back then. So, you know, I thought, well, that's good. And if I do it that rate, it, over the course of a year, I'll pretty much have all the modules. And I thought, well, that's yeah. perfect. Um, and immediately Sean said, yeah, this, this seems like a great idea. I love the way it, you know, I love the way it sounds and whatnot. And he ordered 50. Oh, I, shit. I thought, well, shit. I don't want to build 50 of them. <laughs> I want to build three. Um, so, I, I, so I got a phone with him, and, and I called Roger over at Big City Music, and I said, hey, Roger, you know, I've got this idea. And basically the same thing I said to Sean. And I, uh-huh. 
And he said, oh, okay. He said, did, did Sean buy some? And I said, yeah, Sean, Sean bought a couple. And he goes, oh, how many did Sean buy? And I, I, I told him, I may have even told him maybe 10 more, just trying to uh-huh. push him a little bit. And he goes, okay, well, I'll, I'll take that many too. I'm like, oh, oh okay. So now in the course of an hour, I had sold 100 modules. Um, <laughs> and I'd only ever built two or three. <laughs> Oh my God! I love this story. This is amazing. so. What I did. So for the next, for the next two or three weeks, you know, seven days a week in the evenings after work until three or four in the morning, putting modules together. Oh my God! That must have been exciting and miserable at all at the same time. It was all those things. Yeah. It was fa- <laughs> but you know what I. It was it was absolutely fantastic, and it was you know it's it's as happy as you can be because it's you're sort of driving a train that's totally out of control, but it's, <laughs> you know you're going in the right direction, and that's all that matters. And at that point, I really didn't have there was no intentions of starting a company or it was it was really just for the love of these things, and I wanted to be a part of the the scene, and I wanted to be a part of this vibe that was going around in this, this great idea. Um, and it was, it was, I, because I'm not a great musician, it, it felt like the perfect way to be involved. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's so cool. Um, <laughs> so what year was this and what was, what was that module that you built? And is it, is there still some sort of version of it available from Pittsburgh? This was, boy, that would probably be about nine or ten, no, maybe nine years ago, eight or nine years ago now. And that, w- that would be, the module was the VILFO. It was okay. the voltage-influenced in, voltage LFO. And essentially, it would, the idea behind it was I was trying to figure out how to do voltage control over an oscillator. But I wanted to try to figure it out on my own instead of, you know, reading through electro notes and just saying, oh, here's how you do it. I thought, well, maybe I can figure this out. And so ultimately I did figure out a way to voltage control an oscillator, but I did it wildly wrong. <laughs> and but what I ended up favorite. with, what I ended up with was something that became really unique and, and really interesting sort of on its, on its own merits. And in an LFO, it, it, it worked really well to create some sort of fluctuating modulations and some interesting patterns that you couldn't get any other way. Okay. Um, and I think we, I think we've sold out of the Vilfo at this point. There may be one left, but we, <laughs> and we haven't, we haven't really manufactured them in quite a while. Okay. So, so this happens, you, you, you're expecting to sell three, you sell a hundred in a day, all of a sudden, you know, you're, you've, you've just become a module manufacturer, you know, like, um, did, did you then like, did you have more ideas on the back burner? Did you feel like you needed to, to think of more ideas or was just the, was just the enthusiasm and excitement there to just kind of drive the ideas? I'm always curious where the ideas come from and how they come. <clears throat> At that point, I, I feel like I was just, I was still kind of learning what interested me in the process. So in, in what, about being a modular manufacturer meant to me. So there wasn't 
a giant backlog of products right away. It was really, okay, first of all, is this something I'm interested in doing? Um, mm -hmm. And if so, then I, there's a lot of processes that have to be figured out here to make it work. And so it was, it was a while before we got, we moved on to another module after the Vilfo, just trying to figure out how to do things. Okay. You know, from a logistical standpoint. And, you know, I had a, as a software developer, you, your, your job is more than 40 hours a week anyway. So mm -hmm. I was already, I was stretching it pretty thin. Yeah. <laughs> so I I, there was only so much time in the day to work on this stuff. Uh-huh. Is that when you asked Mike to come on board then or? Michael came on later. I had, after the the Vilfo, I, I had worked with another engineer that I had met through Muff Wiggler uh, uh -huh. for a little while. And as I started to realize that relationship wasn't going to be what I what I was looking for, um, I reached out to Michael to see if he would be interested in collaborating on a couple things. And I, at that point, I had some really specific ideas that I wanted, hopefully, him to help me with. Mm -hmm. uh, Michael is a great teacher, and he's v extremely patient, two skills that I don't have at all. So <laughs> he was very kind with his time and very kind to sit down and help me out uh, to sort of flesh out these ideas. The, and the first thing that we worked on together was the Pittsburgh filter. And that's, okay. it's still the same filter that we have. It's, it's in the microvolt. So it's the same filter now we've used for everything. It's, we've sort of, it's sort of slowly evolved over the years, but the filter core and that sound that we developed, you know, eight years ago is, is still there. Okay. That's that's cool to hear. Like you you found you found this this filter sound that you liked eight years ago, and you're just like so pleased with it. Like it's still it's still the sound that you're going with, and I, and I think that's a testament. I I think uh, a lot of people who who are fans of of your stuff definitely would probably mention uh, your filter first. Um, I felt like that was going somewhere. I think it's interesting that you being a like um, a software guy went into analog sense because I feel like a lot of coders or, or you know, uh, web developer, pe people are just into coding and whatnot. They end up making digital modules. But it's, it's I don't know, I just find that fascinating that, that that's what you did professionally and then you went into making analog stuff. Like, you, there's not really any digital stuff in Pittsburgh line, is there? Well, we've, we've done a few digital modules. Um, early on, we worked... <laughs> We worked with an engineer and licensed a few modules from him. Um, but eventually I realized that, okay, I am going to have to write a little bit of code. But I, I, I stopped doing code and I got into analog because I was burned out. Yeah. I, if, I, if I didn't ever see another editor, I would have been happy. But what I realized <laughs> is after you step away from that for three or four years, you come back to it and you realize, oh, wait, I'm not making boring software to be used by a bunch of boring people in a boring room. I'm mm -hmm. writing code that's going to be in a module that people are going to use 
to express themselves, like that's a completely different thing. And you realize, oh, wait, that's okay. And that's interesting. Okay. Um, I've, I've shied away from doing sort of DSP stuff. I don't, I don't want to do heavy math ever again. So I, <laughs> I don't think we'll ever do anything like that. But I love logic problems. I, you know, I feel like they're puzzles. So, you know, doing MIDI and doing sequencers and that kind of thing. Yeah, I, I, I'll do that. And we've, we did a few modules. As I sort of got back into it, we, I, did a, I had to do a MIDI module. So the MIDI 3 was the first module that I coded for Pittsburgh Modular. And from there, I realized, okay, this is, this is kind of fun. I, I think I can do this. So then I did the game system module because we saw this great display. And we thought, well, if we put a PlayStation thumb joystick on there, that would be kind <laughs> of fun. And so we did the, a whole modular that that's just you know five different sequencers essentially hiding behind this sort of low fi 8-bit video game interface but what you realize as soon as you start to use it is no wait this thing is super deep and it's 100 percent musical and so the idea is that if i can code a little bit and make something music with it it's okay um as long as it's as long as it doesn't consume all my time, because I do, <laughs> I, I do lose interest in coding relatively quickly. Yeah. So, so have you? Uh, has, is is Pittsburgh your your day job now? Is it your your primary? Are you still doing? Uh, is it kind of like are you still burning the candle at both ends with it? No, no. Pittsburgh <laughs> has been my day job now for I think coming up on eight years. Seven That's got to feel so good. It's kind of, it's, oh man, that's amazing. It's, thank goodness, because I, I assume that I'm virtually unemployable at this point. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you get in these, you get in these ruts and you sort of, you get into your way of working that you're so happy with and you're so comfortable with that I can't even imagine yeah. doing it, you know, a different way. And, you know, working with Michael Johnson is such a fantastic collaboration. The way we work is so natural and so enjoyable that you know, I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's great. That's kind of my dream is to be my own boss, but not quite there yet. Um, we're, we're really, uh, we're really ripping through this. We're already at 50 minutes and we got to get to a patch challenge eventually, but there's just, there's so many things I still want to talk to you about. Um, one thing I wanted to ask about is, uh, the, the change in your, your kind of your aesthetic over time and then, and, and how the microvolt plays into that, because I mean, you had a very kind of industrial, simple, but cool looking, um, uh, faceplate design and layout from the, from the get go. And now with the life form stuff, you've definitely, you've kept it simple, but you've definitely made it a little bit, I don't, I don't even want to say updated, but you know, you've, you've had this kind of trajectory of, of staying simple yet, you know, appealing looking then with a microvolt is a totally total sidestep or uh i don't it, it just looks a lot different than your stuff and, and i wanted to i was curious of how intentional that was or is this kind of like the direction you want to go as far as aesthetics go or, or how are you thinking about all that stuff well we started out and the idea was sort of the uh, punk rock i wanted it to be mm -hmm. sort of lo-fi and punk rock so we went with the sort of the Dymo font 
with uh-huh. the idea that it looks DIY, even you know, even though it was it was printed on there and and whatnot. And so, but, and that worked great. And try to use as few letters as possible, and just and I enjoyed that. But what I what happened is as the modules got more and more complex, you realize that it they become impossible to understand what's going on. <laughs> so you say, okay, well, we got to clean it up a little bit. All right. So you, there was sort of an intermediary step between life forms and the original look that was, okay, let's use a normal font and let's put a box around sections. <laughs> and we used that for a few modules um, before we said, okay, that's fine. The life forms line really came about because we wanted to draw a line in the sand. When the Lifeform stuff came out, that's really where Michael Johnson really fully came online. And everything we were doing was Michael Johnson stuff. Okay. And they were all collaborations. So we thought, well, this is a great opportunity to draw a line in the stand and say, okay, this is, this is where we're at now. And this is what we're doing now. And it's, it's really a different mindset than it was before because it's, you know, it's, it's different people working on the stuff. Mm-hmm. So that okay, was, that, that makes sense. And that was, that was the idea behind the life forms stuff. Uh, we named it life forms or I, I, I picked the name life forms because I'm a, uh, a big fan of future sound of London and that album meant a lot to me. And I thought, well, that's a cool word. It means a lot to me. And I, I think we could do something interesting with that. Okay. Um, and so we, we, the first couple modules had, uh, um, like, module organism written on them, and you know that kind of stuff. And we abandoned <laughs> that pretty quickly. But the idea was, the idea was, okay, these these things are little. Each one is its own little life form, and we'll go from there. Uh, so that's that's sort of where that stuff was with the microvolt. Once we realized. Well, we're not gonna. This isn't gonna be a Eurac module. Then there was no reason to do it in the same graphics. And actually, we couldn't because the Lifeform stuff uses a process called Metal Photo for the panel. So the it's not actually silk screened. The the artwork is sort of embedded in the aluminum, oh, and that's okay. great for patch cables because you can't. You know, you can't scratch it. You could run over it with sandpaper. You're never going to scratch the artwork off, which is cool. Okay. Uh, but for the microvolt, that wasn't going to work because we had to use actual silk screening and we had to use powder coating and whatnot on the steel. So I thought, well, if if it's not going to be exactly the same, then why does it need to be anywhere near the same? It could be its own thing. Okay. And that was kind of fun. And I thought, well, okay, well, let's explore this. And because, you know, I was sort of, celebrating the work of Alan Perlman. And I so you know, I had a, an ARP 2600 sitting on my desk and an ARP Axe sitting on my desk. And I said, well, I'm really inspired by the way these things look. And I didn't want to copy them, but I, I, I sort of wanted to hint in their direction and sort of an ode to that look. Mm-hmm. And that was really the... I could see that. I hadn't thought that, but now that you mentioned it, I can <clears throat> see that. So Yeah, and that was, that was really the the thought process behind the microvolt. Um, and now we're working on some new stuff and, and the new stuff we showed last year at Superbooth, we showed a sequencer, a Yorak sequencer um, that was using a, a different style of panel, 
again. And this time, though, it's it's the reason why we're sort of switching the graphics around is a lot less interesting and a lot more <laughs> logistical. But um, the company that we got the metal photo from are less than reliable. So oh. we need to, <laughs> yeah. So we need to move on. And, and because they're the company that used that process, we're saying, okay, again, because we can't do that process, instead of making the modules look close but not right, which I think would be weird, we say, you know, let's just do something a little bit different. Um, and I love the idea, you know, not everything has to be exactly the same. People buy modules, you know, from 20 different manufacturers and put them in their system. So the idea that every module from one manufacturer has to look exactly the same, I've never really believed that anyway. Yeah, that's a really good point. I'm sitting here staring at mine. I'm like, yeah, this, this is, there's nothing that matches really. I mean, a couple, couple of the same brands, but they're not even next to each other. So it doesn't really matter. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and then I had another question I wanted to ask really quick before we got into the patch challenge and it's eluding my brain right now. I should really write this shit down. Um, <laughs> fuck, what was it? Um, it's going to pop into my head. Um, but while we're waiting for that to come back to me, I, I, I go to this website that, that creates the adjective and noun. Uh, it just generates randomly for me if I just hit a button. Um, and usually it takes a few spins to get there. And, and I just did about three spins. And this came up. And I, I think it's, it's, I don't know, it might be a little bit of the universe um, maybe taking a playful jab at you, but it, artificial staircase. Oh boy, that hurts. <laughs> <laughs> I can I can re-roll, but I just no, thought no. I, I'd had okay. No, no. If, if the universe wants to kick me while I'm down, then let it kick me. That's okay. <clears throat> yeah, but you get to fight back with a with a beautiful challenge, uh, with a beautiful patch from this challenge. Um, God damn, what was that next? That other question I wanted to ask. Um, I hate the what what's in the what's in the future. Um, but I guess I'll, I'll ask it anyways. I mean, it, do you, do you, it sounds like you're still very enthusiastic about this. So there's, is it kind of a no end in sight, you know, let the ideas come as, as they do, or, uh, you know, I guess what, what, how do you, how do you see yourself in 10 years with, with Pittsburgh? You know what? I don't know if I have a 10 year plan for Pittsburgh. Mm -hmm. Um, our, our product lines seem to last, they have a life cycle of about three or four years, it seems like. So mm -hmm. um, 10 years out is two and a half product cycles out. I don't know what that would be. I know right now we're, we're sort of working on a bunch of new ideas that are new to Pittsburgh, but they're also sort of new to analog and a new way of, of doing some really interesting things. Um, like I said, we're a teeny tiny company, so I don't know how long it's going to be for all this stuff to see the light of day, but designing the new products and working on the hard problems with Michael is why I love to do this. So we're always going to be trying to solve engineering challenges that have been around for a while. And I don't see... I don't see that changing anytime in the future because that's that's what I truly love 
as far as what we're doing here. Um, as far as what Pittsburgh's going to look like in 10 years, you know what, I'm not really sure. I would love to open it up and collaborate with some other people and do some more interesting things, but it, it really comes down to, am I making a product that I'm proud of? Is it musical? And, you know, when I play with it in the evenings, does it put a smile on my face? Mm-hmm. Great answer. I remembered my question too, and I feel like I'm opening up a whole other can of worms, but I feel like it would, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention it. Um, we gave a shout out to him earlier for your, your awesome ramp, but you also make beautiful cases. And I'm just kind of, I'm curious, you know, how did you get hooked up with uh, the, your woodworkers and, and, um, and who are they and, and how does that, and what's, what's that like? You know, are you guys in separate places when you're working or do you kind of all have a central station you work together on or well, how, how does that all work? We started out, we needed years ago, we needed a case because we were going to do a stand, we were going to do our first sort of s- system. Mm-hmm. So we needed a case. So I reached out to Steve Reitenauer of Monorocket okay. and he designed a little case for me and that was great. Um, Steve has turned into a, a wonderful friend over the years. And so we, everything sort of grew from that case. And in the first batch of Pittsburgh cases, the move cases, Steve actually designed the woodwork for that stuff. He didn't, he wasn't building them, but he did all the design work for me. Um, after that, and we had them built by a, a local carpenter here in the city um after that we found the guys that we work with now and they were or they still are two school teachers they do uh, like <laughs> wood shop at school so they you know their love is to do this kind of thing and they have you know they had their own cnc machine and it was it was perfect and they and they are meticulous to a fault which is exactly you know what you want with this stuff because it's easy to design a Eurac case and say hey here's this case I designed and make two or three and say okay now we're going to sell cases it's easy to make a couple what it's hard to do is to make 100 a month <laughs> that are exactly the same it's it's almost impossible and it took us a long time to figure that out and a long time to find the right people that could do it but now because we have, you know, the guys we have working for us and the systems we have in place now, the the cases are really, really top quality. And they're, they're, we've put power supplies in there that are going to last for the lifetime of a system. You're, they're not going to be... Initially, when we did our original cases, we had put power supplies in to run a bunch of analog gear because that's what we made. Mm-hmm. And that's really, in the beginning of your rack, that's what was out there. Uh, but then over the course of two or three years, your rack completely changed. And everyone started putting small computers, you know, several small computers in their your rack case, expecting that these, these power supplies that were designed for analog would work with, you know, all these small computers that you're filling in. It just didn't work. So we had to go back to the drawing board and say, okay, let's, Let's start over. Let's design something that's going to be bomb-proof for the next 20 years. And that's when we, we switched over and started doing the structure line. So the structure line is the new guys building the cases and also the new power supplies that will last forever. Okay. And that that's like that, I don't want to say, 
it's like almost like a, a, a grayish brown wood grain. Is that is that? Yeah, it's it's a, a black it's a black stain. But obviously, when you stain it on the wood, it doesn't it doesn't stay black. But we just call it black because it's okay. It's easy. It looks great. Way. It looks awesome. I was wondering what kind of wood that was, but I don't know anything about woodworking. And now that you mentioned that it's a stain, I feel kind of dumb. Yeah, like, well, the wood itself is it, the wood itself is a cabinet grade Baltic <coughs> birch. So. If you would have custom cabinets built for your kitchen, it would be the same wood. Okay, cool. Sweet. Well, man, this is a, I, I, I keep thinking of new things I want to ask you about, but we're, we're going to run over on time, and uh, I just think we'll have to have you back. Um, but I think maybe I'll give you some time to work on your, your patch, and then we can see, uh, see what this artificial staircase sounds like. All right, let's look at the tree sequential switch from Mystic Circuits. This thing's a lot of fun. It's got eight different outputs and some pretty fun inputs to get uh, pretty wacky. It's great for, um, I know that didn't really mean anything. We'll get to that. Um, it's great for making beats. So I'm just going to start with a nice simple beat. Um, I've got two of the outputs coming out and triggering the uh, the recovery effects oscilloscape. So this is my, my bass drum. And then I've got two different outputs from Tree going into the trigger input of the Knit from After Later Audio. Um, it's a Microplats clone, so let's bring that in. Um, I'm using um, one of the outputs from Tree to uh, trigger the contour from Make Noise, and that is going into the uh, the timbre input of the uh, the Knit. So it's giving it a little bit. You can hear that. And then I've got the uh, Schlappy Engineering Angle Grinder acting as an LFO going into the, uh, the Harmony input for the knit. So let's, uh, let's have some fun with this really quick. And I'll, I want to mention the AI006 Stompbox adapter. I actually have two of those. Um, and I've got the uh, Recovery Oscilloscape going into one of those. And then that is coming out and into um, the... Mr. Black downward spiral delay and then into the transmitter from Earthquaker Devices. So let's bring that up in the mix. And then I've got the microplats also going into an AI006 Stompbox adapter. And I've got that going out to the Phantom Operator from Recovery Effects, which is like this. Uh, self-modulating filter modulation monster. It's really cool. And then into the Afterneath from Earthquaker devices, and then into the Mr. Black Eterna reverb. So let's bring that up. And then I've got the uh, rings, which is being triggered by, uh, or strummed by um, two different outputs from the tree. Uh, this is a nano rings made by After Later Audio as well. Um, I've got one of the channels going into the 4MS dual looping delay. Um, and then I've got um, maths one and four also being triggered by two different outputs of the tree. Um, and then one of those is going into the shape input, and then one is going into the one volt per octave. So let's bring the one that's going into the, the output that's going into the, uh, 4MS dual looping delay. And then I've got the other output going into the recovery effects cutting room floor. So let's bring that up in the mix. 
So everything in this patch is being driven by a tree, which is pretty fun. And I mentioned there is a plus four, plus two, and plus one input. Um, so I'm going to take the exact same uh, clock speed from Tempe that is feeding the initial clock of tree, and I'm going to put that into the plus four. So check out what that does. I'm going to pull it out now. So you can see how this could have a lot of cool uh, live applications. Let's go into the plus two and see what happens. And I'll pull that out. And let's put it in the plus one. Now what's really fun is plugging something in to all three of those inputs at the same time. Um, it definitely gets a little funky, so let's uh, Let's take a, a relatively quick clock and let's put that in the positive two. And we'll take half of that clock that we put in plus two and put it in the plus four. Let's see what happens. Just switch these inputs up. Let's uh, unplug all those. So this is our original. I'm going to take that same original speed out of Tempe and put it into the plus four. And let's take a slow, slow clock and put it into the plus two. <laughs> and let's take a fast clock into the plus one input. So you can see, uh, if you just take a look, like I just plugged these in at random, I didn't even really take much time to uh, figure out what, what good speeds would be to use in the plus four, plus two, and plus one, um, and it turned out pretty cool. So if you, sat, if you sat for a while and really built a patch around this, you could get uh, a nice evolving patch that you could build a, a pretty cool live set out, out of. So uh, yeah, go check out mysticcircus.com to keep an eye on Tree. It will be released very soon. always curious to ask what, what what's it like patching with you know being prompted by random words and under a time limit it's always hectic to be under a time limit for anything but fortunately i know the gear pretty well and i can <laughs> i can patch pretty fast so that's not really a problem um, this particular patch was a little daunting because i felt like it stabbed me in the heart a little bit <laughs> I know it felt kind of bad, but I was also like, "This is this is I can't not say something about it." No, it was it was perfect. So what I tried to do was, um, I thought, "Well, staircase, okay, that's you know a bunch of sequencers and arpeggiators sort of 
going up or down. And I thought, well, you know what? I'm going to go up because I'm going to make this positive and not down. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, and I thought, well, a lot of delay. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> so I, I patched as many delay modules as I could as quickly <laughs> as I could. So I, ha- I think I have five delay modules patched in. I'm kind and, of a uh, sucker for delay, and, 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 and I hate to derail us, but I'm kind of curious. What are you using for your delays? Um, nothing. Oh. Wait, Nothing what? at all. <laughs> okay, I'll take that answer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I hadn't thought that through before I said something. <laughs> we have it. We have a... Um, uh, I don't, I, don't, I don't like to live in a world of big secrets. We have a, a new module that we're, we've we've sort of finished at this point. It's just sort of waiting to go into production. It's called the analog delay unit, and it's it's basically a six HP stripped down version of the analog replicator module. Okay. So it has it has all the same delay time length, without all the sort of extra features that make the analog replicator a 16 HP module. Uh-huh. So you stripped it down to 6 HP, but you still get what you want, which is sort of voltage-controlled delay out of it. Okay, well, and you so just I've, sold me. 6 HP delay, I am on board. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's analog bucket brigade, so it's, it, sounds, it sounds great. It's fun to play with. And um, so I, because of that, I've, I've you know, obviously been doing a lot of testing with it. And so in my personal system right now, I have five of them. <laughs> So this seemed like a perfect opportunity to to attack them a little bit. <laughs> well, thanks for uh, letting the letting the cat out of the bag. Uh, that, that's a cool little that's a cool little exclusive for us. So <clears throat> yeah, I'm not sure when they're going to be out there. Um, we'll definitely have them to show at Superbooth, and maybe they'll be ready to ship then. But probably not. I don't know. <laughs> I guess that depends on when we sort of get together with WMD and get it in production. Oh, you're working with the WMD on it. Okay, cool. I've always, I'm always curious how those collaborations work. Um, but man, we that's a whole other that's a whole other can of worms we could open up. Um, I really derailed us from that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so you're thinking delay because of staircase. I think that's about where we left off. Cascading delays, sequences going up. Yes positive like i made it all the way up the stairs mm-hmm. no i sadly didn't <laughs> i'm laughing with you i promise <laughs> how does how did artificial play in and, and uh what were you what were you thinking and did you end up uh following that thought throughout making it well the art the artificial i just sort of thought is synthetic or something that was controlled but not natural so i thought that's where really the delays came in because delays are sort of synthetic reverb synthetic echo and that was the idea behind that was i could create sort of this staircase that kind of never ends Uh uh-huh so it sort of the synthetic staircase that's i focused because of the broken leg at all i focused more on the staircase side than i did on the (laughs) synthetic side Right on. Well, um, and and how do you feel about it? The patch in general. I feel like it, it's it's okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. 
I feel maybe I worked through a few demons. <laughs> a little catharsis on the modular. Yeah. I like it. Well, man, I can't, I can't wait to hear it, and I can't thank you enough for joining me. Um, this, is, this has been a, uh, an awesome chat, and I definitely want to have you back on because, like I said, I feel like we could have, we could have gone down a bunch of different roads and uh, probably could burn up another hour pretty easily. Um, before we get out of here, is there anything, your, your website, your Instagram, or any band camps or anything you want to direct people to, and is there anything that you just want to shout off the top of the modular mountains? Uh, I feel like Modular's doing pretty well on its own, depending on when <laughs> this airs. Um, a few, probably will, a week from Monday. Okay, then we. I don't have any news to share quite yet. Then I can put it um, off. Oh, that's okay. Okay. <laughs> um, we have we d- we definitely have a, a bunch of changes coming along, all for the better. Okay, and hopefully people are going to get excited about the stuff. Um, I'm I'm just I'm so happy that this is what I get to do for a living is make instruments to allow people to express themselves in a way that they can't without them. Um, that's that's a gift, and and it makes me smile every morning when I wake up. That's so great. That's so awesome, man. And then um, so is it is it just is it PittsburghModular.com? It is pittsburghmodular.com. Yes. Oh, cool. And then I think it's, what, PGH Modular on Instagram or something like that? Is that right? PGH Modular on Instagram. I don't know what the other ones are. I know we have a Facebook and all that, other Twitter, but I honestly, I don't know what those are. I don't, yeah, I, I'm not getting much out of Facebook or, or Twitter. I, I, I think Instagram's the only social media. And here we go. My, the, uh, the audience is probably just like, here he goes talking about Instagram again. Um, I don't know. It's 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 a great medium for for this for this uh, format of music making. So that's that's all I'll say about it. But um, I get a kick out of it. I, I like that I can throw up a one minute little snippet of a patch that I've been working on. Yeah, um, and seems to get some nice feedback from people. I think that's pretty cool. Or I can check out what people are doing with our gear in little snippets. It's a great way to sort of informally share. Yeah. That's what I, that's that's something I would love to just yeah just ask you about too is just how how cool is that to to see a tag and then go see someone you don't know make like just stoked on a piece of gear you made and and you know creating something and sharing it it's got to feel so fucking good it's awesome like today this afternoon I came home from work and I I didn't feel good my leg hurt and you know I was in a bummer mood because of that and I so I put my leg up I opened my computer I went to Matrix Synth and right on the front page. Someone had uploaded a video that they had made using a microvolt and an SV1. Oh, and nice. I listened to the whole th- I listened to it two or three times. I'm like, this is awesome. This dude spent a lot of time doing this, and he's clearly enjoying this, and it sounds cool, and it made me smile. So that it changed my day. That's so cool. Well, hopefully, uh, listener, I, I'm, always in, I'm always encouraging you guys to, uh, to try your own version of this week's uh, patch challenge. So if you're out there and you have some Pittsburgh gear, um, and you wanna you wanna try your artificial staircase? Make sure to uh, to tag us both and let us let us check out what you're doing. And uh, yeah. broken yeah. leg optional, <laughs> absolutely optional. Yeah, I wouldn't advise it, especially not the tibia. No. Right on. I, I again can't thank you enough, and uh, I hope we can talk again soon. I look forward to it. It was fun. All right, here is artificial staircase.
by Richard Nichol.
Well, how about that patch, guys? It's kind of funny. The, uh, the, the random adjective noun gods were being very cheeky with Richard. Um, but a very cool patch. It was cool to hear those delays that he was talking about earlier in the episode in action. Um, yeah. So thanks again. Go check out Pittsburgh Modular on uh, on their website. They got their cases are gorgeous and all their their modules are amazing. Um, a lot of cool stuff. And don't forget to check out Patchworks.com, our local shop here in Seattle. But it can be your internet shop if you're not in Seattle. Uh, that, was, that was poorly worded. But anyways, if you buy something from there, let me know. Show me what you got. Um, what else? Uh, subscribe to Waveform Magazine. It's a free print publication that's going to be coming out very soon. Um, I'll be talking to Ellison from that pretty soon. And and uh, some big PodMod news around that as well. Um, so, yeah. Stay with me. Cool stuff's happening. Until next week. <laughs>